0: Welcome to the Social Leader Podcast made for entrepreneurs, business owners, faith leaders, community advocates, volunteers, trailblazers, innovators, and visionaries from every single walk of life. Social leaders strive to move beyond charity in order to integrate and then operationalize their social priorities. They're forging sustainable solutions in order to solve our community's most tangled problems. Social leaders are the most creative, most important leaders of our time because they're striving to lead with greater social impact in order to change our world. Friends, welcome to this episode of the Social Leader Podcast. I'm Father Justin Matthews. And hey, real quick, before we begin, I wanna let you know that today's episode is presented by Reconciliation Services. We're a nonprofit social venture in Kansas City, Missouri working to cultivate a community that's seeking racial and economic reconciliation so that we can reveal the strength of all. You can find out more about Reconciliation Services and even support our work at rs3101.org. I am super excited today to welcome a good friend, our guest for this podcast, her name is Nika Cotton. And I gotta tell you before we begin, Nika is one of those people that you just want to get to know. She's a poet. She's an entrepreneur. She's a founder of multiple collectives and businesses. She's a mom. She's a community advocate. And she's also a former employee here at Reconciliation Services. Nika, thank you for coming on the Social Leader Podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on this episode.
0: Absolutely. And before we begin, I just want to tell everybody we are, uh, if you're watching us live, we are on Facebook and YouTube and you can uh, make comments live and we'll do our best to incorporate those thoughts into the show today. And if you're watching on YouTube or after the broadcast, uh, you can find more of those archived comments on our Facebook page or on YouTube. Well, Nika, I really want to just dive into your story a little bit. You have a really fascinating leadership journey, and you have a lot going on right now that we're going to get into in terms of your new business and all the cool stuff that you're working on. But just tell us a little bit about your leadership journey, who you are, and how you've become the amazing leader that you are today.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I I would say um, I'd attribute my leadership skills to um, like taking in all of the lessons of um, the things that I've experienced, um, being able to pass those things on to other people is sort of my theory. I don't know how you would classify <laughs> that as a theory of leadership. Um, is just, I guess, growth leadership, like learning and growing and being able to, um, share the things that you've learned with other people.
0: Who were some people in your life that did that for you? Did you have, Anybody or are there some folks that really stand out that had that growth mindset, that growth leadership and taught it to you? And what did you kind of take away from from that person?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the first business that I ever started um, it was a freelance writing company. Um, so I'm a writer by passion. That's like the thing that I do um, if there was no money, <laughs> if money didn't exist, is just write, right. just sit under trees and write things. So the very first business I started is called Village Scribe. Um, and I started off writing life journals for people who were in hospice care, who were just at the end of their lives. So I, um, when, it, when I first started that business, I went to an accountant to get the business entity set up. And one of the things that she told me, she's a very well-known um, accountant and also a speaker, her name is Marquita Miller. Mm. Um, is that whatever you do with your business, um, be sure that you empower and inspire other people who are trying to do the same thing and that you'll always, you know, get, um, where you're going, you'll always be successful if you do that thing. And so I've tried to make that or build that in to the way that I run business is it's always empowering, inspiring somebody else. Um, so that's like the first principle of, or the first value of a business that I do is that it's, how is this empowering, inspiring somebody else?
0: You know, I have not heard of many companies or even programs that I think are as impactful and, and just really meaningful as what you just described. So how would that go down? So y- you were writing life journals for yeah. people who were dying in hospice. Can, can you describe what that was like or what, what you produced and, and what it meant to the people you were writing it for?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say it was really, um, even just that experience of doing that business, um, it was not very profitable in the end, which is why I moved on to another business, which is, you know, it was part of the process. And so it was very useful of a experience for me, but it was really powerful to understand what people wanted at the end of their lives, um, what they wanted other people to know and to understand um, when they when they were at the end of their lives, um, and then the things that people regret um at the end of their lives, which usually the things people regret are the things that they did not do at the end of their lives or things that they kind of were either afraid to do or held back on or just missed the opportunity to do at the end of their lives. Very rarely do people say like they regretted things that they actually did. <laughs> it was just they regretted things yeah. didn't do. And so that was really empowering for me to. Um, to hear that and understand that and it's really affected the way that I live my life um, and you know not only run my businesses is take every opportunity that comes to you because those are the things that you're going to regret at the end of your life even if it's a pandemic and somebody offers you yeah. an opportunity to take that opportunity because you know even now I think with everybody kind of thinking about death where it's kind of in the forefront of our minds because we're in a global mm. pandemic and Um, I don't know who else has had, um, COVID panic attacks where just like I have COVID 19, I'm dying right now.
0: (laughs) Right. It's scary for a lot of people. And I think that I'd love to know if there's one person or one lesson that really stood out from that journaling that you did. Is there something that you took away concretely into your own life from one of those journals or is there a story that you could share?
1: Um, so kind of the, the story that really um, prompted even the name of my company, Village Scribe, um, because scribe the idea of a scribe is, you know, in ancient times, like when Sanskrit was the language of the, the world, um, you had to basically be chosen from the time you were a child to be a scribe. So there was really this sense of gatekeeping when it came to writing, um, that only certain people could do it. And so that's why you would hire a scribe to record things for you. Um, So I did have a couple who um, could not, who never learned to read or write. They kind of lived a very rural life. Um, They'd been together probably 50 years, and they were both at the end of their life um, journey. And so I wrote a journal for them together. Um, It was like a relationship kind of life journal, um, you know, targeting like their lives separately. And then when they came together and the things that they did together, they fostered children. They had children of their own. Um, And so it was just really a beautiful opportunity to be able to write. Like they really could not have done this for themselves, Um, recorded their own journal and their own life story. Um, And then also one of the biggest questions that I will never forget um, when I ask them, like what's the secret for being together for your whole life? Because they've been together for such a long time Um, and we're dying (laughs) together, you know. Um, which was, you know, it's really sad, but also just very beautiful to have this person with you. Um,
0: Absolutely. The
1: and they said, um, the secret is one person has to give and one person has to take, and you have to take turns, but it doesn't matter who goes first. So at the yeah. time, I didn't completely understand even the whole lesson behind that. It was a few years later before I realized, oh, it doesn't matter who goes first, because when you really love somebody like them being, um, happy is as joyful as you being happy, and so that's why it doesn't really matter if they go first or if you went first. So yeah, that was. Really- and that
0: feels like a lesson we really need to embrace right now, given our you know the inequities in our country, the really um, violent conversations around race and equity, and um, would that there would be some modicum of a desire to let the other person go first and to really listen. Um, that would be really helpful right now, I would think.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. or even find, you know being able to recognize that there's a joy and other people you know being happy or having justice, that there it should bring a joy to you when somebody else who's not you um, has.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. Sort of basic to most faith traditions and so easily forgotten and and hard to embrace. So you founded that company. And then you're doing this incredible writing. What did you do after that?
1: Um, so I, d- I ran uh, my company for a while. I tried to get um, a contract with a local funeral um, parlor to include my like life journal as a package for their um, like services that people purchase in advance. So a lot of people will purchase like, funeral packets in advance. Um, I wasn't able to get enough business to make that sustainable, so I just kind of moved along. Um, from Bill at Scrabb LLC about five years ago um, is when I came up with the name Soul Centricity. So originally it was um, based on this kind of theory of human development that I read by Bill Procton it's called Nature and the Human Soul. Um, mm-hmm. It really resonated with me just the way that he described kind of our like living in um, kind of community with one another and community with the earth with the space that we occupy. It um, really, really resonated with his theories um, on like soul-centered human development. So it's kind of where the idea of soul-centricity, like the title came from. Um, but yeah. what it meant to me was also just like, this because um, the N is T-E-A, which is a play on words. I've always loved T. I've always been like a known tea fanatic. It's <laughs> all of my friends, um, probably as far back as high school, maybe even before then. And so it's just something that is unique to me, something that I really love, something that I'm really passionate about. It's kind of my niche because I've accumulated so much tea knowledge over the years just from loving it, that yep. it felt like a perfect delivery system for me, um, for my own passion, for my own purpose.
0: Well, uh, there's a comment that just came in that I want to put on the screen, and it's uh, it's from Bonnie. Bonnie said and aside I wrote and reviewed tea for several years and it was very useful in teaching me to be present in the moment no tea bags right no so tea bag. <laughs> yeah tell me about how tea um informs or impacts your leadership or helps you to be present that yeah. that grounding that you're talking about
1: so I did before I started this um Company. So I had the opportunity two years ago to actually start a storefront with the name Soul Centricity. So I just kind of put away this logo and this name and this vision into a Google Drive document. Um, Some friends of mine were starting a business that I was kind of joining their collective team, um, selling my teas at their shop and their fell through. And I was able to like take over leadership of that opportunity and start a gift shop on Truce called Soul Centricity in 2018. Um, And so that closed down a year ago. And in the interim, I was doing something um, or doing tea ceremonies and also doing something called Tea and Social Justice, where I would just meet one-on-one with people um, and bring my little basket, a little picnic basket (laughs) with all of my tea supplies and my little electric tea kettle and just talk to people about social justice issues that they cared about um, and then pass on any information that they might want me to share with the next person. So just kind of these very one-on-one. I remember
0: when you were telling me about forming that and I thought it was such a brilliant like simple but attainable and brilliant response to the civil unrest and to the need for racial and economic reconciliation did have you carried those like tea parties or those tea and social justice meetups into soul centricity now into the shop or are you still doing that
1: Oh yeah, definitely. So we haven't um, started our events yet, but we'll be doing um, an open mic rhetoric team poetry, which will basically the, the rhetoric portion of that is basically social issues that we'll be addressing that. Um, so people can do poetry, they can do speeches, or they can just present a topic for us to discuss um, during these events. So we haven't started yet, but we will be starting and I'll be using a lot of the issues that I categorize um, as topics for those discussions.
0: Well, and I know that before we get full on into, I want to kind of get into what it was like to start a company or what it is like right now to launch this company um, during the time of this pandemic. But before that, um, your your advocacy for the community and your work in social justice is not just about tea conversations, which is a powerful modality, but you also worked as, as a caseworker here at Reconciliation Services really interfacing with the community. Um, Talk to me about like, what did you learn from that? How did that coincide with your mission of soul centricity? And what, you know, what did you take away? What did you see?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most powerful things um, during my time at um, reconciliation services, which I've been familiar with reconciliation services. I did um, trauma therapy, um, went through one of the classes, one of the six week classes. Um, And it really positively impacted my mental health to go through the classes that I went through there. So I'd already had a familiarity before I started working at Reconciliation Services um, with the services that they offered. But my time there really gave me an opportunity. It was kind of just a training for me, I felt like, um, to really have an opportunity to interface with the community, to learn and develop skills, Um, that I've used, I even, I've had um, customers come in, actually, who were um, clients that had been served to reconciliation services. And so just to see that, you know, to the familiar faces um, of people, I had a a gentleman comment that he, or comment that he was impressed with the way that I um, dealt with a homeless customer who would come in, that I'd given coffee to. Um, And I, you know, explained to him, I was like, I, you know, worked up the street at a social service agency. I had a lot of training on interfacing with people. Um. Yeah. This way and so I don't think before that experience I' had the grace <laughs> um, of being able to both um, interface with compassion with people the way that I was able to learn to do there. I also well, you, know, you, I you used a
0: really key word which is training Nika, right yeah. I mean so a lot of people have a big heart but they don't know how to operationalize their their social priorities. Yeah. so yeah. just putting a quick comma here, there are other business owners who, who run retail front-facing um, operations, and they face those things, particularly interfacing with people that are having social challenges, people who are really um, struggling with mental health. Kind of, What are two or three things that you learned through your work in the community and social work uh, with Reconciliation Services that you now put into practice? Like, Make that practical for us. How do you use that? What training? is helpful
1: yeah i think the biggest thing is responding from your compassion and not from your fear because especially now with COVID 19 um a lot of our homeless population is very transient uh, population Mm -hmm. so they're very they're very vulnerable at high risk Um, and so it can be scary even and i still feel that fear uh, when people come in particularly if they're coughing particularly if you know haven't had access to sanitation Um, for a few days and it's very obvious um, for those things. And so responding from compassion and not from your fear of that person or a fear of whatever they represent um, to you is always gonna give you a better result than if you just respond like, how do I, you know, I'm kind of afraid, how do I make everything safe right now? So respond with that compassion. You can still make things safe and um, find a very compassionate way to interact Mm. with uh, people. It's really
0: hard to do. I mean, it's very hard to be compassionate when somebody's, you know, up in your face or, you know, demanding or something. And I think that you make a really good point. That's not just um, for running a retail shop, but in general right now, just learning when we are confronted by someone or a thought or, You know, a tweet, whatever that really sets us off or really triggers us, taking a minute to sort of like have that mental cup of tea, slow down, you know, and then tap back into your compassion, into your heart, and then respond from there. I don't think we're ever going to agree with everybody, but I do think that we have a choice, right, about how we respond in the world and how we move through the world.
1: Yes, definitely. And I think that, you know, one of the things about tea, um, if we consider like in history, the Boston Tea Party, tea is a very revolutionary (laughs) Mm. sort of um, tool or symbol, you know, of revolution. And that's one of the things I'm passionate about is always focusing on activism and the ways that we can um, empower and um, organize um, for change, especially with the climate, the way that it is right now. Um, And then tea is also, like you asked earlier about the centering um, qualities of tea. So I have done a lot of tea ceremonies um, and even just like one-on-one tea ceremony people where it really is a way to meditate. Um, If you think about communion, um, you know, the simple Mm -hmm. act of taking something into yourself that you've passed an intention into before you um, take it. Um, Tea Mm -hmm. is very much that way. The process, you have to wait a little while for it to cease. And so, during that time of waiting, is it really a time to sort of um, calm yourself and to contemplate? Um, I like French pressing my tea because there's something with the tea touching water. So I appreciate the comment with no tea bags. (laughs) I don't use any tea bags when I my prepared tea here in the shop because there's just something about the tea touching the water and that opening of the tea that's a very um, contemplative moment for you. And the stirring of the tea leaves together—that's kind of like a Um, a connection (laughs) of things. So So what's
0: it been like opening this? I mean, this is a powerful mission that you're putting forward in terms of social justice and slowing down and Mm -hmm. giving intention to what you consume and how you walk in the world, being compassionate. What's it been like bringing that kind of mission and purpose and thoughtfulness into the world and starting a business that you need to thrive in order to like pay rent, yeah. um, and take care of your family. <laughs> What's right. that experience been like of launching this company uh, during a global pandemic and this massive upheaval in our in our society right now?
1: Um, I will say, terrifying was the very mm. first emotion <laughs> that came to mind, and the very first emotion and the most persistent. One that I have felt during this time is that it's terrifying um, to do all of this when there's so many unknowns. There's so many things that we can't know um, about how things are gonna operate. And so it's been really scary. But at the same time, it feels like the perfect moment because not only, you know, tea has a lot of medicinal benefits as well. And so a pandemic seems like a good time to have tea. Um, but then also with all of the things that are unknown right now, who's to really say um, what's possible um, is kind of the entrepreneurial mindset <laughs> to have is we're at a time where things are unknown. So who's to say what's possible? Who's to say that this couldn't really be a successful thing and that that fear, if, if I let the fear stop me from doing it, um, I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, oh, I let that fear stop me from doing this thing. So live with no regrets.
0: There are a lot of barriers to entry, though, for people wanting to start companies and and for people wanting to take up work like this. And in particular, if you just look at the data to be uh, a black female entrepreneur, you have issues with access to capital. You have issues with, you know, being received in the business community in the same way. Um, Talk to me about barriers that you faced. I mean, and and there may be other entrepreneurs listening that think that they're alone, you know, and what have you gone through? And what have some of those barriers to starting up and operating been?
1: Definitely. Um, you know, I think definitely across the board for black women, whether it's an entrepreneurship, whether it's an employment, um, it's kind of like you show up to the starting line of the race already tired because the hurdles that you've had to jump over just to get to the starting gate have been insurmountable to most, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so getting to the starting gate already tired is the name of the game. Um, when you're considering like a lot of Black woman-owned businesses, Black woman entrepreneurship, um, and even Black women in employment, um, statistically speaking. So one of, you know, one perfect example of that is when the space that I moved into was already occupied by a coffee shop for about a year and a half. And they'd packed... Mm-hmm. Um, two health inspections um, were in that term of occupancy, their initial inspection and then their first reinspection. inspection. Um, and when I signed up for my initial inspection, I failed that initial inspection because um, there was no drop ceiling to cover the piping and the ventilation above the counter spaces, which is against health code. Um, and it, it's a legitimate um, violation because I looked it up because <laughs> I was like, no, y'all are lying. Right.
0: But it had um, been that way
1: and for the previous that way for the previous owners for a year and a half, and so this is a perfect, like it's a very symbolic example of entering a space where you have to have more to even enter that space than other people have to have, where there's like a standard that you're held. to. So it can be exhausting. Um, well, and I
0: think a lot of people listening who are white and business owners, if if they haven't read the data, it would be very easy to write that statement off, like, "Oh, you know, you're playing the so-called race card. You're you're out there, and you know, you just that's just business." But, I mean, let's just pause for a minute and talk about the reality that the statistics back that up. I participate. I'm on the board of um, the Kaufman Foundation's um, E-Ship uh, Forward Cities. Initiative, which is all about trying to translate entrepreneurial ecosystem supports to women-owned and minority-owned companies in this region um, because diversity is a superior economic growth model for our region. And and the work that we did very first was, was a listening work, not only to the advisory committee that I sit on but also um, a survey of entrepreneurs, both in in Kansas City, Kansas, as well as in Kansas City, Missouri. And to a T, the hundreds of people that we surveyed came and said anonymously, these factors, these barriers are present. And the feeling like you're under more scrutiny, and, and you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious bias, right. And we could be charitable and say it's unconscious, but we both know that it's not always unconscious. Yeah. Or um, systematic in terms of the,
1: because right. they can be unconscious, but you're carrying them out because they're part of the system that you're part
0: of. Right. Absolutely. So it's, I just want to pause and say that because I would challenge anybody <laughs> who listens to what your experience is and says that that's sort of an exceptional uh, statement. I would challenge anybody on the data on that, go do the research. Um, So talk to me about the future. Where do you see this company going? Um, How are you going to get there and what's your plan? You know, hopefully COVID ends God willing at some point in time. Um, What's next? Where do you go?
1: Um, these days, honestly, I am playing it by ear, (laughs) um, trying to grow business. Um, I'm doing a lot, but for me also this experience, I have a one-year lease. Um, and so it's slightly lower risk to think of over this year, I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn so many things about running a business. Um, I'm experimenting, which is the most exciting part of it is There's all these ideas and things that I've wanted to create, um, because at my heart, I'm a creator. And so I'm really just kind of throwing myself into the process of creating and of growing um, and enjoying this process. Um, because as I grow this business, it's also growing me. I'm also growing and I'm learning and I'm developing new skills and new um, things so that even if this doesn't work, it's gonna be something better for me um, on the other side. So I've tried not to put way too much into the future because I don't know. It's so, I don't even know when I'm gonna be able to have large gatherings um, here in this space, but I'm really enjoying the process. Also, I will say something that a very wise man once told me. His name is Father Justin.
0: Um, I'll get you that 20 bucks that I promised you, whatever (laughs) it is you're about to say. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, he's not paying me anything. Um, So I remember you telling me um, when you pour yourself a cup cup of tea, the tea spills over onto the saucer underneath is enough for everyone else you know, and making sure that your cup is always full. And I've really taken that to heart. I've been intentional um, consistently about making sure my cup is always full because it's exhausting, you know, kind of trying to run a business. I'm here right now, seven days of the week, um, all of the Mm. open hours. And so really intentionally filling my cup constantly and making sure that whatever runs out is just the spillover on the saucer uh, for people. And I've gotten so much feedback from people about the way they feel when they come into the space. Um, because I try to, you know, intentionally when I first come in, I make sure I'm feeling good. I put on my music and my essential oil, <laughs> and do all yeah. the things to prep the space. I hear so many people come in um, and tell me they feel like a weight lifts off their shoulders when they come in this space. They feel so calm and so peaceful. And so really that is most of my intention during the day is to really cultivate um, and create calm inside of myself first. Um, and that, that's really what I'm serving. People can drink it with tea when they come into this space, but really that's what I'm serving here. So,
0: Amen. Well, here's the other thing that I would tell you, keep going because <clears throat> if you're not from Kansas city, Troost Avenue, you know, this is the racial and economic dividing line of our city. Every city in America has one. It was engineered and created to be segregated on purpose. And the street is gentrifying fast. There are negative and positive aspects of development. But one of the most significant negative aspects is that the local businesses, affordable local retail businesses that really give um, a place, a sense of personhood, um, those can be pushed out and displaced just like the people can from their homes. And so I think it's critical to have MBEWBE local business, um, not only economically, but just kind of for the soul of the city, every area needs to have a personality. You know, if you go to New York, I've spent a couple of three years in New York and it's like everywhere you go, each borough feels different and that's beautiful, you know? It doesn't all feel like, you know, like we say in Kansas City, Johnson County, beige, you know, like all the same. (laughs) And so I just want to commend you for what you're doing because yes, it's important for you. Yes. It's important for your patrons and your children, but you're lifting up an example. Your work is important for the soul of, of Troost Avenue and the soul of the city. And I want everyone who's in Kansas city or driving by to stop off on Troost Avenue Go down uh, into the Wonderloft building and go find Soul Centricity. And I'm going to put the website up one more time, too, uh, soulcentricity.com. And you can see that in the show notes if you're listening on podcast. Okay. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do have a question. You can say no. Okay. Do you have any poems that you have from memory that you want to share? Oh. You're an incredible poet. I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot. But
1: Let's see. What, give me a topic, something that you feel like would fit. What kind of thing do you want to hear I
0: about? would love if you had a topic about um, tea and reconciliation and sort of the zeitgeist of our times, you know, the the spirit of the age, anything that addresses what we're all living through right now. Or anything, pick one, whatever you want, you know?
1: You know, I'm going to do one because this is one that I remember the best um, uh-huh. that I could recite the the easiest without having to recall it too. <laughs> all
0: right, all right.
1: Consciously. Um, and this one was important to me. You know, part of starting my business as well is being able to homeschool my kids. As we know, there's no school right now and I'm a single mom. And so that's been a challenge for a lot of single moms. Um, that I've seen or single moms who are leaving their kids at home alone for the first time, because they don't have a choice, they have to go to work. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, a crisis of childcare, um, right now, There are organizations and those sorts of things. But one of the important, you know, factors for me with running my business is my children. It's for them to be here with me, for me to be able to homeschool them, for them to be able to, um, even see me, um, running a business and see other options for themselves. So this is a poem called Lullaby for Black Boys. Um, it's a poem that I wrote shortly after the murder of Trayvon Martin. Go chase your dreams, Black boys, chase your dreams. Go chase your dreams, Black boys, sleep in peace. Wake up to live your destiny. Walk the streets in hoodies free. This is the lullaby for Black boys who slumber restlessly tonight and those who sleep forever. mothers Inside their dreams are playing horrifying scenes, visions of bloody black boys bodies severed. Must our sons become apparitions before they even have a chance to form their own ambitions? If we justice had her own black son, she drop that scale and blindfold tear her robe and mourn for what she's done, my son. Let these words embrace you like your mother's arms, on restless nights when it seems your day will never come. Don't lose sight, though darkness surrounds you, son. Find your light, stay the path until the morning comes. Until it comes, let us stand that we may someday see the day when all black boys can sleep in peace, and then wake up to live their destiny and walk the streets in hoodies free to chase their dreams. Go chase your dreams, black boys. Chase your dreams. Go chase your dreams, black boys. Sleep in peace. Wake up to live your destiny. Walk the streets in hoodies free. Go chase your dreams, my son. Chase your dreams. Go chase your dreams, my son. Sleep in peace. Wake up to live your destiny. The streets. Until you That's lullaby for black boys.
0: That's really beautiful. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. I'm gonna ask if you email that to me, I'm definitely gonna put it in the show notes so people can read it. Yeah, I'll our, our our inter- in- for you. Yeah, our internet connection goes in and out, but we, we were able to hear it and I definitely want people to read the whole thing. You are an amazing poet, an amazing woman, an amazing entrepreneur, and a really a really good friend. I wanna ask you one last question. I always end every podcast with this question. There are a lot of people out there who wanna learn to lead with greater social impact. You have really brought together your passion for tea, your passion for poetry and writing, your entrepreneurial spirit, the healing and the things that you've gone through in the trauma therapy, as well as all that you learned in uh, social activist work. Our reconciliation services you have done an incredible job of synthesizing your personhood and and focusing it on making an impact in the world if somebody else wants to learn how to do that what are two or three things that you would recommend to them if they want to learn to lead with greater social impact oh
1: yeah definitely I would say don't be afraid to create your own space there's a Um, quote by James Baldwin. Um, It says, the space in which I fit will not exist until I create it. Because sometimes when you don't see the thing out in the world um, that you fit into, it's because you're supposed to be making that thing. And so don't be afraid, you know, to create it and to experiment and to look silly, like nobody is going to have the answers for you on the thing that you're supposed to create. (laughs) And so like, don't be afraid to do that. That
0: would be my biggest. I love it. I love it. You know, the idea of if you don't fit in where you are, if you got a vision and you don't see it yet, go make it, go, go create it. You are the consummate entrepreneur, even your way of looking at the world. It's like, I'm going to go make it. And I love that. I love that about you. Definitely want to make sure that everybody goes. I'm going to put the website up again. Soul Centricity, S O U L C E N T R I-C-I-T-E-A, like T, soulcentricity.com. Uh, especially if you're in the Kansas City area, make sure you go down on truest Avenue to Soul Centricity. Nika, thank you for sharing your life, your poetry, your leadership, and and this time with us today. I really, really appreciate it.
1: No problem. It's an honor to be a part of your podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Okay, hang with me. We'll be right back. Hey, friends, I am so thankful that you spent uh, another podcast with me on The Social Leader. And I want to tell you real quickly before we end today that if you're in Kansas City and you are hungry for lunch, Reconciliation Services just launched a brand new social venture. We're offering affordable food to the community and at the same time, we're fueling the nonprofit work that we do, serving the community with social and trauma therapy services, as well as doing education work around race and economics and equity in a time where we really need to be connecting on those things. And in a time when there are so many thousands of our neighbors struggling to survive and succeed, and we need your help. We need you to help us fuel this mission, and it's super easy. All you've got to do is eat lunch. You can go to thelmasboxlunch.org. I'm going to put that up here if you're watching on YouTube, thelmasboxlunch.org. You can order an incredible lunch, five-star Yelp-rated food, From Reconciliation Services, come pick it up at the window, or if you're doing a big group order for your organization or your company or a meeting that you're having, we can also arrange to have it delivered to you. But it would help us so much. I call it slacktivism. It's like slacker activism. You don't even have to leave uh, your pajamas and your computer while you're working from home. In order to really make a difference in this world and to help us further the mission of reconciliation services so i wanted to make sure to tell you about that and lastly if you like today's podcast If you want to hear more about social leadership and learn more about people like Nika and her incredible work, I need a big favor from you. Wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on Apple or Spotify or YouTube or Facebook, I need you to hit that like button. Give us a thumbs up. If you're on YouTube, hit the little bell button in the corner and make sure to share this podcast with as many people as you can so that we can lift up this vision of social social leadership. We all need to embrace social leadership right now so that we can make a positive impact when it is so desperately needed. So once again, thank you so much for joining me today on the Social Leader Podcast. Until next time, let's together learn to lead with greater social impact.